Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 429. We got Alden Mills, a former Navy SEAL and a current baller high performer in just about everything. So we're talking about building unstoppable teams through caring. So you'll learn one, four steps to leading with care instead of fear. Two, the distinction between caring and comforting. And three, the really high stakes associated with caring. So if you want to check out the show notes, the transcript, or the links to items we've referenced, you'll find it on over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F429. And here's Alden's story. Alden Mills is a three-time Navy SEAL platoon commander and was the CEO of Perfect Fitness. He's also a longtime entrepreneur with over 40 patents and 25 years of experience working on high-performance leadership, sales, and team building. So thanks to Alden for spending some time with us and thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no. No, LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours, and small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Alden, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. It's awesome to be here. Thank you, Pete. Oh, well, it's awesome to have you. I'm so excited to dig into the goods. So, well, maybe why don't we start with some action to hook this uh, conversation into some intrigue. Could you open us up by sharing a daring story from your days in the Navy SEALs? (laughs) Well, you know... When I think about daring stories, I have to tell you probably the single most daring story I had was actually when I first started SEAL training to begin with, because I really wasn't sure if I could make it through that. And I remember this man coming up to us who had his left butt cheek blown off by a rocket propelled grenade in Vietnam. And he walked with his limp And he had this deep Southern accent and we had about 122 candidates. And I was as nervous as I had ever been because here I am, I'm about to start training, but he's going to make us do this physical test, the same physical test we'd done multiple times. And he gathers us up and he speaks to us and he says, class 181, gather around here. I want to let you in on a little secret. And I'm like, oh, secret. We like secrets. Y'all interested to know how to make it through Navy SEAL training? And we were like kids to a campfire, right? We were all bobbing our heads up and down. And he goes, it ain't complicated. You just have to decide how much you're willing to pay. You see, I know for a fact 80% of you aren't going to be willing to pay the price. 
You know why? Because y'all want to be seals on sunny days. And he goes on for a while. But what he's really talking about was talking about creating this conversation in our head, in our heart. And I remember all of us standing around and it was kind of the first time that somebody had really talked to us about saying, hey, you know, are you willing to die for your country? Are you really going to do this? Or are you just going to be that seal on a sunny day? And within six weeks, we went from 122 down to 18. And that was the beginning of a transformation of a whole series of evolutions of SEAL training. And I, I thought when you just asked me that, I, I would start with that. I mean, there are missions that I've been on that are still classified that I won't talk about. But some of the things that were most exciting to me were those personal challenges, like that day when he started bringing us all around together and telling us about this conversation he was going to create between our head and our heart and how we had to learn to deal with what it was we were willing to sacrifice to make it through. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you. Yeah, that's a powerful perspective that can apply to many circumstances. And you've put together in your book, Unstoppable Teams, a number of pieces that sort of speak to some parallels between how Navy SEAL teams can really have some real similarities to high-performing civilian teams. So could you draw that parallel for us or build that bridge? Lots of metaphors here in terms of if folks are saying, you know what, what I do is nothing like what a Navy SEAL team does. Can you set us straight, Alden? Do you know how many times I've heard that? And people will say, you know, there's nothing similar between you and me. You're a Navy SEAL. You know, you're a freak of nature. And, you know, okay, maybe there's a little bit of a freak that you want to go through that kind of training. But the same things that they do for us in SEAL team, they're just more condensed, are exactly the same rules that apply as a civilian. And which, by the way, I've had much harder times leading civilians than I've ever had leading SEALs. Oh, intriguing. Say more about that, please. I can. And in part, because in SEAL team, they have this place called X Division. And X Division is a place where they remove the negative attitudes, the quitters. They don't let any of that get involved with the people that are in the arena. And as a civilian, after I left SEAL team, you're surrounded by people who are in X Division. Mm-hmm. And you, you have to make your own X division. You have to decide who you want to listen to and, and what voice you want to focus on. And you can't just willy nilly go out there and fire anybody you want. I mean, it takes a long time to remove somebody off of a team, right? And most of us, we get, we inherit people when we go from one team to the next. And sometimes, the X divisions that you have to create both, by the way, I call them, there's two kinds of teams. There's the internal ones inside of you and the external ones, all the different relationships you build. Sometimes those people are close to you that you have to put in your own personal X division, like family or friends who are telling you, oh, how do you know you can do that? You can't do that. I mean, a lot of people who tell you you can't do something, it's because they haven't done it themselves. It scares them. They don't want you to go out there and be different. Misery loves company. And that became probably my biggest challenge when I transitioned out of SEAL team into 
being a civilian and leading civilians. And I've led civilians in all different capacities from community organizations to charities to the startups. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really important element to share with people is to understand that you, it's up to you to decide what are the things you want to focus on from the people that are telling you what you can and can't do? Because at the end of the day, it's up to you to set those limits and that focus. Yeah, that's good. So the X division is sort of like X out of considerations. Like uh, we're just not going to let that in into the thinking or consideration at all. All right. That's right. Done. Cool. Well, well, tell us then. So you got a lot of good stuff in your book, Unstoppable Teams. Could you share, what'd you say is sort of the key thesis or big idea or main message here? The biggest thesis out of all of this is using the most fundamental human emotion to connect, inspire, and empower people to do something that moves them from a point of natural selfishness to selflessness. And that human emotion is care. It's not fear. You don't want to lead by fear. What you want to lead by is with care, what I call care-based leading. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you say care is the emotion. And so we're going to unpack that into, you got a bit of a framework here, but let's talk a little bit about the emotion itself and how that does lead folks out of selfishness to selflessness. So take a look at some of the most recent research that's come out. There's a wonderful piece of research that's come out through a psychologist down in UCLA who I've quoted her in my book. And what she's talking about and discovered is we have all humans have a natural capacity for care reciprocity. Unless you're a psychopath, okay, the amygdala isn't firing and we just don't accept any emotion there. But for the 99.9% of us out there, we respond to care. In its most basic form, I hold the door for you, you turn around and you hold the door for somebody else, right? That's usually pretty instinctually a reciprocal event. The same type of reciprocity occurs as you go further and deeper into caring for somebody. Hey, how are you doing today, Pete? What happened last night? I heard about your mom. Is she okay? You know, going and taking a step and initiating care. All of a sudden, Pete feels like, wow, that somebody did something kind of selfless. They weren't worried about themselves. They're worried about me and my mom. And they were actually, they showed an element of curiosity and care about me that may have nothing to do with work. But it does have to do with the whole picture of who Pete is. You go even further from that and say, now I'm a first line, second line leader, manager, whatever you are in your organization. And you start saying, hey, I know where you are today, but I also know that you want to be here in a year. I'm going to help you get there. Again, it's not directly related to trying to help you get a better return on investment. It's trying to help somebody go to another level. And when that starts to happen, people will start to say, hey, wait a second. These people, these people are actually more interested in me and I'm going to reciprocate by doing even better work. Mm -hmm. 
And that's at the highest level what, what I'm talking about. Okay, yeah. So that's great. And so then you sort of go into some depth there when it comes to caring. It's a bit of an acronym to connect, achieve, respect, and empower. Can you give us a little bit of a detailed taste for what you mean by each of these four verbs? I can. So when we talk about, you know, these highest levels of how do you get people to reciprocate with care? And by the way, care is also a function of oxytocin. And there's a blocker to oxytocin called cortisol. These have all been scientifically measured. Uh, the first thing that's got to happen is to create a level of trust, which is what I call connect. And so being the military guy, I've created the simple acronym of these flywheel or loop, what I call the care loop of connect, achieve, respect, and power. And when it comes to connect, how you connect and what's the point of connecting? The point of connecting is creating and building trust with somebody. And how do you do that? Well, you do that one through communication. And communication actually is involved with mental, physical, and emotional communication. You know, 55% of communication is broken down into your body language. 38% is through tone. 7% is through the actual words. And the next piece of that is your credibility. Do you know, do you do what you say you're going to do? How accountable are you? Uh, what level of proficiency do you have at something? And the third part of connect is committing, making that commitment. You know, are you all in? Are you all in for just some people or are you all in for everybody? And when you start doing that on a consistent basis, you start building up a level of trust that then sets in motion the next step because if you're in any kind of a team, teams are designed to accomplish something and you move to achieve. And when it comes to achieving, the whole point of why you build a team in the first place is to go achieve something. And achieving really is setting direction for that team. What's the purpose? Where are we going? And how are we going to get there? And I break achieving down into a series of what I call the five A's of achieve. And the first one is starting with aspire. And aspiring means, you know, when you're going after something and when I'm talking about teams and Pete, a lot of people get teams and groups, they use teams so often that they mistake most things for groups because teams are a much rarer form of what a group is. A group is really, a, you know, a combination of people coming together that may be connected or directed to do something. But teams, they move at a higher level and are much more focused on doing something greater than themselves. And usually the teams are coming together to do something that no single individual could do. And when it comes to aspiring people, you need to have a level of trust already built for them to say, are you kidding me? How are we going to get to the moon in less than a decade? Mm -hmm. Right? Some of these great challenges. And then once you start the aspiring, this is a natural tendency for people. And I call it the second A, which is assume. You have to let people go and experience and try and take their own path to getting something done. A lot of leaders will make the mistake that, okay, I've inspired them. Now I need to tell them exactly what to do, right? What happens there? 
you just take away the fire in their belly of saying, hmm, how could I figure out the best way to do this my way? And you remove that creativity from them and you micromanage them. Right. Right. And that, that can kill the team dynamic early on. And then from when you get to assuming you can relax a bit, because don't worry, I'm not telling you, you assume they're going to get it done and see them in two months. You create assessments. You create assessments for the team. And you know, we always had assessments at SEAL team checking in on how we were doing for the next how is our progress as a team? And it wasn't so much trying to pick out the weakest link as it was, how is the team doing together? How are we progressing? Mm-hmm. Right? And once you pass through assess, the next piece is like, oh my gosh, there are times where we're not, we're not progressing. And a leader has to step in to assure, to assure them that, listen, yeah, we're going to take a couple of steps back before we go forward. We just look at the cool ways we've learned not to do something. And then the final one is having an appreciation, having an appreciation for the whole person, not just for the eight hours or the 10 hours in which you see that person. Have you spent the time to appreciate what struggles they have outside of work, things that you may or may not be aware of or things that you can help them with? But when you start adding those pieces to the puzzle, of building out a team, that's where care starts to build on the flywheel and it takes you to the third component, which is building out an environment of respect. And now a lot of people today are like, well, we got to have respect because it's just the right thing to do. But what's the real reason to create mutual respect? The real reason is to get people to willingly contribute. That's what you want respect for respect for different cultures, respect for diversity of thought. That's what it's about, is getting these different points of view to give you different ways in which you can slay the obstacle and grab the opportunity. All right, I like that. So the respect is not just like you should respect, but you're like, well, no, it fundamentally is what leads to folks willingly contributing. And if you don't, then they won't and you need it and you're missing out. Yeah, you're going to be suboptimal. Like uh, some of the most enjoyable moments I've had in companies is when we've brought together what some people may say, my God, you know, the people around this table look like uh, the the island of misfit toys from Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, right? You know, like, oh, they're all, they all look totally different. I'm like, that's perfect. That's exactly what I want because I know that I, I stand a better chance at getting all kinds of diverse opinions, right? What you're really after is diversity of thought, not diversity of heart. I want everybody's heart in alignment, but I definitely want to create that diversity of thought. And the only way that's going to occur is on that third piece of the flywheel of the care loop with respect. And what I call realize, recognize, and require. Realize that respect can come from two places, authority or your actions. If people think that, well, just because I'm the senior person here, I get more respect, that is a very short-minded approach because it's not going to last very long, right? Authority and respect in SEAL team would last for about 10 seconds. Maybe in the civilian world, it might last for a couple of paychecks. But over time, what wins the day are your actions, 
And that brings you to recognize. How do you recognize the actions of others? Do you take the extra time to figure out, hey, you know, Sally over here is a math genius. She's phenomenal at pivot tables. And you may say, like, well, what's pivot tables got to do with launching the perfect push-up? Well, it solved all of the big issues that were actually our biggest Achilles heel, which had to deal with supply chain management and shipping millions of units. And if it weren't for Sally and her pivot table superpowers, we'd be in the hurt locker. And when you can start to recognize how a superpower of each individual comes together to build up the team, then you're starting to create an unstoppable team where everybody starts realizing, hey, this person is really caring about me and what I can bring to the table. Therefore, I'm going to start reciprocating and do the same. And the final R, by the way, is you have to require it. If you find time and time again that somebody is just totally disrespectful and they don't, they're not into it and your efforts have not been sustainable to help them switch, then it's time for that person to move on because that will just kill the environment for contribution. And that brings you to the final piece of the care loop and it closes it called empower. And empowering is about building owners. And I talk about doing that through ed educate, enable, and engage. And by educating people, you're helping them be better, not just for their job at hand, but also helping them grow in the direction that they are seeking to do for the long term. Enabling is helping them to succeed. And engaging is the active process of testing their education, challenging them, improving them, and helping the entire team grow. And when that all happens, the loop closes and people go, hey, I'm going to share this care loop with the next team that I grade because teams all disband and people move on. And that's the great thing about if you approach things with a care-based philosophy, I guarantee you it will come back in spades in the positive realm for you. Uh -huh. Well, yeah, well, so that's handy. Your articulation of it in terms of care as a macro acronym and then all the C's and A's and R's and A's underneath. So it's easier to remember there. And so I suppose that makes good sense to me. Now, can you tell me in what ways do you get resistance from this? Because I'm hearing this as like, yeah, that makes sense. You should do all those things. I am right with you, Alden. Where do you find people say, Alden, you're off base. I disagree here. Sort of where is there some contention? Well, let's see. That's the first big disagreement I'd get. Wait, you're a Navy SEAL talking about caring? Are you kidding me? I mean, Navy SEALs only care about killing, right? How can you go around talking about caring? Well, I was going to ask. I mean, I wouldn't put it that far. But I mean, if you look at the footage of... But that's how some people would approach it. The training, yeah. The training doesn't look like it's caring with all the screaming and the <laughs> and the discomfort. But uh, yeah, what's your take on that? Well, so the first thing is when people hear care, they hear, oh, soft and cuddly, right? No, that's not the care I'm talking about. I am talking about the care to be the best version of yourself, the care of you being able to go beyond what you originally thought possible. I'm not talking about caring and keeping you in the comfort zone. I actually want you out of the comfort zone. 
the people that are the instructors at SEAL Team, they are only there for a short period of time. They're going to go back to a platoon. I could very well, and it happened to me. Some of those instructors became the people that I ended up leading. So they give an unbelievable amount of care to ensuring that there's a certain quality of individual that they're looking to work with because their lives could very well rest in the hands of that person that they're training. So the care that I refer to is the more you care, the more those people will dare. And ironically, to do that, it's going to require you to dare first. Leaders are going to have to take that first step. And how leaders deal with that first step is a critical first path. Now, I brought up cortisol and oxytocin earlier. Some people will say, no, no, leadership is just like the movie Patton. You got to get out in front and bark orders at them and do those kind of things. Maybe there's some organization that needs that, but I've never found that to be the most powerful. There are times where you have to get up and give somebody an aspiring speech or assure them that we're on the right path. But the large majority of the time, the work's happening one-on-one or one in uh, a small group, and you're getting people to stay focused on the objective at hand. And the most, the most important way to first do that, why people will even listen to you, is because they know that you care about them. A lot of people will make the mistake of going out and barking in order or saying, God, you sucked at that. Why did you fail so badly? The moment that happens and this has been proven, cortisol gets fired off. Cortisol is a hormone for fight or flight or or what I will call freeze reaction. You are not in a creative space once cortisol is fired off. And cortisol is three times more powerful than oxytocin. Oxytocin, you can argue, is the care hormone, right? And when that gets fired off, it's it's the ability to allow you to be more creative. So if someone were to come to you and say, gee, you know, we just failed. Oh, great. How did we fail? Do we know what it was? And can we figure out a better way to do it? Versus you did what? You failed, right? Those two different approaches will send people down completely different paths. And that's one of the first conversations I'll get into with people about, Oh, you got to be tough. You got to set this tough standard. And the tough standard is the goal that you're going after. But you don't have to be, you only ever have to be as tough as the situation dictates. Uh That's good. Thank you. Well, I'm curious. So with all of these verbs here, I'd love to get your take on which of them do you think has the biggest impact in terms of, you know, Pete, this only takes a minute or two to do, and yet it has such a lasting impact on folks really stepping up and growing, what would you say is the key thing or two or three things that have an outsized impact? One of the first ones that I do anytime I get into a team is I try and get one-on-ones with, well, with all my direct reports for sure, but even the people that aren't my direct reports and understanding, hey, what's your goal? Why are you here? What's, What's important to you? And if I have more time, like I was in SEAL team, I'd ask people to give me one, three, and five-year goals. And they're like, well, I don't know what they are. I'm like, okay, well, give me a personal, a professional, a physical one, or give me a financial one. Tell me what's motivating you. Why are you getting up in the morning? Why are you coming here? 
And it totally disarms them because they think I'm going to be talking about, gee, tell me about, um, you know, our ROI for this quarter. How come you're not hitting your numbers? You know, I will take a roundabout approach to doing that. But if you find and you stay curious about the whole person and not just what their performance is at this moment, it instinctively gives you some other things that you can always come back and connect to that person. When I interview somebody, as an example, the first thing that I'll have them do is say, hey, tell me your story. Uh, Mr. Mills, what do you mean by that? Give me your story. Where'd you come from? What, what do you like? What did you study in school? What's your favorite book? What's your favorite movie? You know, tell me some things about yourself. Trying to get multidimensional on the person instead of just, oh, what's their output today? You know, taking that interest in everybody. Business would be really easy, Pete, if we didn't have humans. <laughs> team leading and team output and, and being a leader is being a relationship builder. And the better you can become at building relationships with multiple different types of people, the more you will be able to succeed because you will get more differences of opinion and different points of view that can give you different ways to solve problems and make great things happen. Uh -huh. I dig it. Well, so I really liked how you shared some particular, you know, verbiage that you use in terms of, you know, key specific questions that you're asking folks and things that you're saying. Are there any other favorite phrases that you find uh, really come in handy and you use often as you're doing this caring stuff? Well, the first thing, and I have one of my all-time favorite quotations that I use all the time, is from good old Teddy Roosevelt. And I think it applies as much today as it did back in whenever he said it. I think it was 1912 or so. Nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. And sometimes it can be really hard to flip the switch from caring about what you need to caring about what's going on with them. And the more you can remember that if you lead with care, they will dare. Okay. Well, tell me anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear some of your favorite things. I just really want to impress upon people that this care is not to be taken lightly. This isn't just, okay, I'm only going to care about the people directly in me. It becomes a mindset of how you handle relationships across the board. And as that happens, you'll find a force multiplying effect that will go into action because everybody else wants to help you succeed because you're trying to help them succeed. Mm -hmm. I dig that. Well, now you mentioned a favorite quote. Could you now share a favorite study, a piece of research or experiment you found compelling? Well, I'm a huge believer in physical fitness, as you might surmise. And there is a book out there called Spark. And Spark has to do with essentially the link to physical activity and mental performance. And I often find that a lot of people who have a bad attitude, have poor performance, they're all things within their control. And usually, and this is what I started my first company on, it was the attitude of take control of your body, take control of your life. 
large majority of the time, as an example, depression can be solved. 80% of common depression can be solved with 30 minutes of consistent high aerobic activity. There are so many different things that are within our control that we seem to forget. And we allow outside influences to say, oh, it's the environment. Oh, I'm just, my life is miserable. But they don't realize that the, the few things they can control of how they think, how they feel, and how they act can totally change their direction in life uh-huh. and change the people that are with them. That's good. All right. So, you know, I've got that book. And uh, I also ask about a favorite book. Would that be it or is there another key one you'd recommend? Let's see. Uh, besides Spark, which I end up going back to all the time, I like Endure. I like Culture Code. I like Boys in the Boat. Uh-huh. Um, I'm a former rower. And so I, I really also enjoy a great story. I, by the way, I, I use story a lot to connect with people. People find story very powerful as a way to connect. Uh-huh. So I love reading about biographies. You know, I'm reading about Leonardo da Vinci right now. Cool. And how about a favorite tool, something that helps you be awesome at your job? I would give my favorite tool, and you're going to laugh about this, as I love my Peloton. Gotcha. I use a Peloton to I follow a couple of different trainers, and I so enjoy getting on that for a 30-minute of just flushing my brain and allowing myself to just focus inwardly before going outwardly. Uh-huh. And do you have any other favorite habits? I do a mindful walk. I like watching the sunrise. I like going out with no particular agenda, but a 30-minute walk uh, in the morning. Sometimes I refer to it as a prayer walk, but it's an active meditation for about 30 minutes. Uh-huh. And is there a particular nugget you share that really seems to connect and resonate with folks and they quote it back to you? Yes. Their limits are up to them. Uh-huh. And all of the folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? They can come to my website, link in with me. My website's called alden-mills.com. All right. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs? Don't ever stop dreaming. Don't ever settle for average. Keep pushing yourself out of the comfort zone. It's so easy for us to stay in the comfort zone, especially as we get older. Stay away from those that want you to enjoy the misery that they're enjoying and keep dreaming. Awesome. Well, all of this has been a lot of fun. I wish you all the best with your companies and your writing and the book, Unstoppable Teams. And um, yeah, keep up the great work. Thank you very much for the time, Pete. I hope this helps. I got a real kick out of how Alden was describing that the folks who are prepping the Navy SEALs and pushing them during their training and are not soft and cuddly, but really quite demanding and challenging are really equipping them with the knowledge that their life may hang in the balance based on how well they equip them. And that was just heavy to chew on for a while. And it kind of reminds me a little bit, if you're not in sort of a life or death wartime or medicine type context, and I guess there's other life or death context, but if you're not in that, it still makes a world of difference in terms of how well you are equipping, caring, investing in people is really impacting the world in a big way in terms of the people and teams and organizations and customers and consumers and users that that person is going to be 
affecting later on down the line. This just reminds me of conversations like with Kim Scott talking about radical candor and how you're not doing anybody any favors if you just let them persist in their troubles and not challenging them, as well as Muhammad Mekki, who talked about business being a noble profession in terms of what you get to pour into people and how that ripples out and impacts others. So I hope that's encouraging for you to care all the more. And sometimes that caring means challenging instead of comforting. Great stuff from Alden. Again, the show notes, the transcripts, the links to items we've referenced over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F429. If you haven't already, I hope you'll push subscribe. If you do, catch our next guest. It is Jeff Gargas. He's also talking about caring, but in a different context. He's working with teachers to make them all the more awesome at their job. Had a few listeners request stuff for teachers. Well, this is it. But it also applies to all of us who are trying to shape others and lead and guide. And I hope to catch you there. Peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.